Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone. And a special welcome to all of our guests and an extra special thanks to everyone serving today. And if you're joining us online, uh, we love you. And please go ahead and hit the like button and subscribe. That helps boost it to more people and it helps you stay connected. So we're continuing our teaching series titled Questioning God. Today we're answering the question, isn't it foolish to trust the Bible? And after this, uh, we only have one more week of this series. And after that, we'll be uh, starting a new series looking at Nehemiah. Now, here's my contention through this series is that everyone wants to believe in something spiritual, something transcendent. That's why almost all people in hardship will pray, uh, even those who have previously denounced God. The idea that a divine creator made you and delights in you and loves you and wants to know you and wants to save you from evil and wants to cause your flourishing and definitely always wants your sports team to win. Well, maybe not that one, but all the other ones. Those, those ideas will never stop touching the depths of the human heart. So people will always be seeking out God and questions about God. Even though I've stated that everyone wants to believe, we still have certain barriers to finding faith in God. So in this series, we are looking for answers to lower the barriers. And I'm continuing to draw some content from Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God. And I'm speaking from Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 today. Now, in this Bible passage today, uh, it was written by Luke, and he was one of the original Christians, and he was a good friend of the Apostle Paul. He traveled with Paul on his missionary journeys. Now, depending on your Bible translation, it may indicate that they sustained their journeys with trail mix, but only the really healthy stuff approved by Jesus, and definitely no raisins. Jesus hates raisins and I'm almost certain that's in the Bible. Saw firsthand the impact of the life and message of Jesus but uh, he wasn't an eyewitness himself to Jesus' resurrection. He believed on the testimony of others. He then investigated their claims and recorded them so that people could be certain about Jesus. And herein lies the big issue for today. How can we trust these written words? What if people just made them up? What if Luke made them up? Haven't they been copied and translated so many times? We can't possibly know what was originally written. How do we respond to this? Well, let's pray and let's look at the Bible. Jesus, we pray that you'd help us today, that you would speak to us and guide us and that your word would be illuminated to us. And for anyone who's doubting or struggling to believe, help them believe today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seems good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. This is God's word. These four verses are considered to be some of the finest Greek writing of the first century. And the quality of it indicates the skill 
and credentials of the author Luke. In verse 1, it tells us that many have undertaken to write down the life and ministry of Jesus. We know of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, which tell us all about what Jesus said and what Jesus did. And Luke says many, so perhaps there were some additional attempts at the time to record them. Luke is doing this for a person, Theophilus. He is a Christian. It seems he has been taught orally by people who knew Jesus personally, most likely the apostles taught him. But Luke also wants Theophilus to have a written account of Jesus. Presumably because having a written account increases the certainty of an oral account, especially as the living witnesses will eventually die out. And today we're going to go through some compelling reasons to trust the authenticity of the Bible. We're only going to be able to touch a few things, and I would encourage further reading and further study. A good reference book is a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell and Sean McDowell. If you want to read more, definitely uh, pick something like that up. It really help you. The Bible tells us that God wanted a written record of his actions and his words. And so God worked through human authors to communicate to, to the world, to us. And even though we can have very strong certainty that what we're reading is what happened, it still requires faith to believe it. There are only seven copies of, uh, of documents that indicate that Plato existed. And there is a 1300 year gap between Plato and the earliest manuscript about him. If you believe in Plato, you do so based on a bit of faith. In contrast, there are over 25,000 manuscripts of the New Testament that depict Jesus's life, written from when the people involved were actually alive. That means it takes a lot less faith to believe Jesus is a historical figure than Plato. Looking at the evidence can get us closer to finding faith, but if you want to find faith, you need to cry out to God for him to show you. And I'm praying that will happen for anyone who does not yet believe or struggles to believe. Verse 2 that we read tells us, uh, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. When it says from the beginning, that means the beginning of Jesus's ministry. This is when Jesus began teaching publicly and performing miracles and everyone started paying great attention to him. Word about him spread quickly and far. Jesus became extremely popular. Archaeologists discovered that his yearbook caption even read, most likely to be God. And what we see in Luke is that his gospel was written within the lifetime of Jesus' disciples. Jesus' disciples started relaying the events initially through speech, orally. But then a bit later on, Luke and others started putting pen to paper. They did that to make sure that it was preserved beyond their lives. So we really need to thank God that the Bible didn't come to us as a TikTok video that could be censored at any time and only get our brief attention. The delivery method was way more robust and has actually has the best staying power. So don't, don't miss the point that everyone who saw Jesus 
was still alive when Luke's gospel was written. So these events were written around the time they actually happened. Now, if you read the fictional book or you've watched the the fictional movie, uh, The Da Vinci Code, you get quite a different view of all this, which unfortunately, a lot of people have accepted this view as fact. And in this pop culture view, it's said that Jesus's life was only transmitted orally well beyond the life of the disciples. And it wasn't until much, much later that it was all written down. And by, by then, at that point, it was hopeless. You could never be sure uh, what had changed or that the Gospels, you know, how could they have not been changed somehow? And therefore, we must consider them to be legend. The gap is just too big. Apparently, though, according to the Da Vinci Code, there were two camps. The Jesus was divine camp and the Jesus was just a dude camp. And in the end, it said that the divine camp won and suppressed all dissenting voices. And it said that recently, in more recent times, some of these other competing documents have now emerged to show us that Jesus wasn't actually divine. These claims, however, are false and are easily shown as being false. To get clarity on this, let's look at the timing of the Gospels. Let's look at their content their literary style, and supporting biblical archaeology. The most respected scholars agree that scripture can't be legend for these reasons. Number one, the timing is too close. The timing is too close. The four Gospels, at the very most, were written 40 to 60 years after the events. In contrast, legendary tales characteristically appear suddenly in history, and then depict things that happened thousands of years before when they appear. Now, some might still think that 40 years sounds like a long time, but anyone who's old enough and wise enough will know that life begins at 40. But consider that the Apostle Paul's letters were written between 15 and 25 years after the life of Jesus. And within Paul's letters, which are in the New Testament, in the Bible, Within them, we read confirmations of the claims of the Gospels, of Jesus' miracles, of his teachings, of his crucifixion, and his resurrection. So we have accounts that are only 15 years after the events, confirming all the things that are in the Gospels as well. Luke tells us in these verses that we read that he interviewed eyewitnesses. And when you consider that there are thousands upon thousands of copies of the Gospels. It means these documents were circulating within the lifetimes of the people who experienced these events firsthand. So think about it. It would be really hard to invent a religion and claim all these incredible things and have them publicly spread to people who could easily refute them. It doesn't seem likely that that would happen. Your best bet is to invent something that happened at least a hundred years beforehand. That way, no one could contradict it. Otherwise, you would need an impossibly massive conspiracy involving too many people to cover it up. People of the ancient world had incredible memories. They committed vast amounts of information to memory, and they could do it fairly easily. They had to because papyrus was expensive and they didn't have hard drives. And uh, this meant that there were thousands of people alive when the Gospels were written who could act 
as guarantors of what was being circulated. For example, in Mark chapter 15 and verse 21, it tells us of Simon of Cyrene, who was forced to carry Jesus' cross. We're told that he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, you can't write these things in public documents if those people are alive and can contradict what you're saying and can discredit you. Consider Theophilus here in Luke. He would, you know, would he have allowed this account to be copied and distributed if it was contrary to what he'd already been told? He would know, he would have known that everyone else would have rejected it. So the oral and written accounts added up. Jesus is not just famous in our time. He was really, really uber famous in his time. And everyone had heard of Jesus. And when uh, the Apostle Paul later on uh, appears before uh, King Agrippa, that's in Acts chapter 26 and verse 26, the Apostle Paul says that these things were not done in a corner. Everyone knew about it. These Christians could not have claimed that Jesus was crucified if most people had known that he hadn't been. They just, people wouldn't have believed it. The people would have just laughed it off. The Da Vinci Code's claim that other genuine gospels were silenced but have now resurfaced is actually a distortion of history. There are some Gnostic Gospels, what are called Gnostic Gospels, like the Gospel of Thomas, for example, that were written at the very earliest around 175 AD, so almost 200 years, uh, 200 AD, which is actually more than 100 years after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were already in widespread use. Uh, in fact, early Christians accepted the four Gospels as authoritative immediately. So Arrhenius of Lyons, uh, a prominent uh, Christian in uh, 160 AD, he declared that there were only four Gospels. The idea that Emperor Constantine in 325 AD determined the New Testament and rejected the Gnostic Gospels and established Jesus as divine is simply not true. Those claims have been shown to lack scholarship. For example, in one of Paul's letters to the Philippians in the New Testament, in the Bible, it was uh, written no more than 20 years after the death of Christ. And we're told that Christians were worshipping Jesus as God in Philippians. We're told that. This one example alone makes the Da Vinci Code accusations completely crumble away. These accounts that we have are not legends made up over time. These beliefs and the biblical documents were written soon after the events actually happened. Point number two, point number two, the content would be counterproductive. The content would be counterproductive. The accusation is that Christian leaders wrote or changed the gospels to promote their own policies and increase their own power. And if that's true, we would find Jesus in the gospels frequently taking the side of those issues. For example, circumcision. That was a controversial issue very early on, highly debated. But interestingly, Jesus says nothing about circumcision. It's an example that they didn't feel free to tamper with the Gospels that they had. If you were Luke, why risk contradicting the other 
gospel accounts? Why write another version? Why not just prop up the other accounts? It's counterproductive to introduce a a different account if you're trying to spin a story. He says in verse 2 that there were eyewitnesses. Why not just say that he was an eyewitness? Why admit that he hadn't actually seen it? It could almost seem more weak that he didn't see it, the resurrection of Jesus himself. You would not make up the crucifixion. The idea that someone was crucified. That idea meant that they were likely a criminal. Why make up that Jesus prayed and asked God to stop the crucifixion? Or make up that God had abandoned him on the cross? These ideas would offend and confuse most first century people. They would have concluded that Jesus was weak, not a savior. You would not make up that women were the first witnesses at the resurrection. At that time, women's testimonies were not admissible in court. You would be intentionally weakening your argument by making it that way. If you were the apostles, would you purposefully depict yourself as petty and jealous and cowardly? Peter is thought of really highly by a lot of Christians. Would you play up his failures? He denied Christ three times and finally abandoned him. It would all be very counterproductive. Point number three, the literary form is too detailed. We can trust the Bible because the literary form is too detailed. Uh, What we call realistic fiction has only existed for about 300 years. And before that, fiction was sparse with details. But in the accounts of Jesus, we learn some very strange details. Jesus used a cushion to sleep on a boat. Peter was a hundred yards out in the water. They caught 153 fish. Jesus was doodling in the sand, but we don't know what he wrote. The best guess is Jesus was here, or WWJD, or don't watch Indiana Jones 4, it's stupid. In the following verses in Luke, uh, from carrying on from verse 4, he tells us about Zechariah and Elizabeth. And in verse 5, we are told that Zechariah is a priest in the division of uh, Abijah. These are all irrelevant story elements. The fictional styles of Jesus' day did not add these kinds of details. Instead, the Gospels have the mark of eyewitness recalling of what happened, rather than people just spinning a story. Consider that human memory can be very selective. We all know it has a special blind spot when it comes to car keys. Human memory tends to fixate and remember novel and unique moments and retain strange, seemingly irrelevant details. For example, an eyewitness to the O.J. Simpson murder, he recalls going to McDonald's with O.J. and seeing a backpack that was never recovered. Real stories include random details. The Gospels give us the vantage point of individual observers recalling irrelevant details rather than a grand narrator who is conducting and shaping a big story. Vivid events stay in our minds for decades and decades, if not for the rest of our lives. The more heightened our emotions are, the more our memory burns into our minds. Like 
when we realize, yes, I've lost my keys. So now consider, if you were to see a miracle, and if you believed that the long-awaited Messiah was right in front of you, those events would be so novel, so unique, so compelling, they would be burned into your memory. The details indicate truthfulness. Point number four. Archaeology supports the Bible's validity. Over the years, the Bible has been mocked for many of its claims, but these uh, criticisms have not stood the test of time. Let me give you some examples. The Bible tells us of King Hezekiah, that he created tunnels under Jerusalem in order to survive a prolonged siege. However, there was no evidence of this outside the Bible until they were discovered in 1838. They found an inscription explaining what they were, and you can now wade through these tunnels today. For a long uh, time, people mocked the Bible, saying that Nineveh wasn't real, a story of legend. There is no way that there could be a city that big of that time period, as described in the Bible, until we found it in 1846, as described in the Bible, surprisingly in modern-day northern Iraq. And the kicker is they excavated an inscription dedicated to the prophet Jonah. Again, the book of Isaiah mentions Sargon, king of Assyria. There was uh, no other historical reference for this king anywhere else outside the Bible. So people accused the Bible of legendary tales until we discovered the throne room of Sargon II in 1929. I personally have stood in this throne room. It was actually excavated and relocated to the south side of Chicago and is on display at the Oriental Institute Museum. Recently, some believe that they have identified the birthplace of Peter and even the boyhood home of Jesus. Also, perhaps you have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. These scrolls were discovered by a shepherd boy in 1947. I've actually seen a fragment of the scrolls. They had been perfectly preserved in clay jars uh, inside caves close to the Dead Sea. And these caves were unusually dry so that there was no moisture to degrade uh, the, the papyrus. And they are believed to have belonged to the Qumran community. The astounding thing about the copy of Isaiah that they found is that it's roughly 1,000 years older than the previous copy that we had. They, and when comparing this older version with the existing ones, experts could see natural spelling changes that always happen over time with language, but they found that it said the same thing as the other copies. There is a long tradition amongst scribes to accurately copy manuscripts. They believed they were the word of God and they would be judged if they changed them. Our Bible is not the product of incremental changes from countless copying and translation on top of translation. The Bibles we have today use the earliest manuscripts, copied directly from the original languages. They use the best scholarly methods to translate them into our language directly from those ancient manuscripts. In verse 4, Luke says to Theophilus, he says to him, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Every verse in the Bible has a thousand PhD level commentaries explaining it 
and examining it. It's more tested and more examined than any other book in history. And it is still the most popular book year after year. I believe it. Reasonable people all over the world believe it. In the end, any difficult areas of the Bible must take second place to the Bible's central claim. Consider this. If Jesus is the Son of God and died for our sins, then we need to take that seriously first. And the reason is because everything hangs on that. The Bible itself tells us to do that. And if the resurrection is true, the other parts of the Bible start to make sense. When you start getting interested in the Bible, it's amazing what can happen. English actor David uh, Suchet, known for his portrayal of Detective Poirot, was not raised religious, but in his 40s, he suddenly desired to read the Bible. And he couldn't really explain this new desire. But after reading Romans chapter 8 in a hotel room, he gave his life to Christ. And then after that, I really hope he went ahead and went all out on room service. Just think that would be the perfect response. The point is, the Bible has power and it transforms people. And it has power because it comes from God. At the end of the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 24, verses 45 through 49, it says this. It says, Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. This is talking about Jesus. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus opened people's minds to grasp the Bible. Pray that Jesus will open your mind. And if you find that you trust the Bible, then here is the message of the Bible. Turn from your selfish and broken ways. Seek the forgiveness and grace of God. Jesus suffered, died, and rose again to secure salvation for you because God loves you. Let's have the band come up. We need to respond and sing to Jesus and celebrate Jesus. Jesus says to his disciples, stay in the city. Maybe that's a word for someone today. He also says, receive power from God. God has power for you, power to live for him and do his works. So let's respond today. Let's keep taking steps towards Jesus. One of the ways you can respond, as was mentioned during announcements, is on the Connect card, the digital Connect card. And I want to encourage you to text the word ENJOY to 94000 and consider what step you can take. Do you need to trust in Jesus? Do you want to be baptized? Do you want to get involved at Trinity? Give today, serve, uh, join a small group, whatever it may be, take a step. Keep moving and growing. Thank you so much for joining us today. I love you guys and I'll see you again soon.